When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings you the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. I'm Dale Spangler. And I'm Dave Selecki, and this week we have COO of Moto America, Chuck Axland. Moto America is the official sponsor of Pit Pass Moto. Moto America, home of the AMA Superbike and North America's premier motorcycle road racing series, is thrilled to announce that it will partner with Daytona International Speedway to host one of the world's most prestigious races, the Daytona 200, during the weekend of March 10th through 12th, 2022, in Daytona Beach, Florida. The Daytona 200 will not be included as part of the Moto America Supersport Championship, leaving the opportunity open for the best riders from around the world to compete for the minimum $175,000 in purse and contingency that will be offered. In addition to the Daytona 200, the Moto America Weekend at Daytona International Speedway will be the opening round of the 2022 Moto America King of the Baggers Championship, marking the first time baggers will race on the high banks of a super speedway with speeds expected to exceed 160 miles per hour, and also the first round of the Twins Cup Championship. Joining the baggers and Twins Cup will be the ever-popular Roland Sands Super Hooligan National Championship. All three classes will run two races during the Daytona 200 weekend. Tickets are on sale now at DaytonaInternationalSpeedway.com or by calling 1-800-PIT-SHOP. This week's race recap, we've got a return to Anaheim for Anaheim 2. And I tell you, with some great racing again, it's uh, every weekend we've got a new winner. This is the fourth round in a row where we've got a new winner. Eli Tomac taking the win, his first win on that star racing Monster Energy Yamaha. So that was killer to see. He did have to work for it a little bit. Uh, I think uh, Jason Anderson helped him a little bit by uh, jumping off the track slightly, allowing Tomac to go by there about halfway through the race. But I tell you, great racing. What do you think, Dale? The series just continues to, I wouldn't say surprise. There's just, you know, the, the depth of talent is so far this year that, uh, yeah, I mean, Eli Tomac, though, wow, the real Eli Tomac, I felt like, showed up. When he's in this uh, mindset, Dave, it just seems like he's unstoppable. For sure, and he's keeping the red plate for another round, so that was cool to see. But uh, i tell you, Ken Roxon was on fire early, pulls the whole shot. He and Jason Anderson got into it in the sand section. Their lines collided, and Ken had the worst part of it, went down and was eating sand. So Anderson went on to battle for the win with Tomac, uh, Tomac coming out on first. But uh, the thing that uh, really surprised me for the weekend was uh, Cooper Webb. Where was he? Finished P8 on the night, and the message boards are alive with rumors that the bike is having problems. So uh, we're kind of waiting to see how that's going to play out in the next few rounds. 
I don't know if Webb should be getting too worried quite yet for rounds in. He is 12 points down, but you can look at it as that's a lot or it's only 12 points. So for for Webb, I think he probably is not sweating it too much and uh, will be. it'll be interesting to see how if he picks it up at the next round. In 250 action, here we go again. Uh, lather, rinse, repeat. Christian Craig with another win. He's been solid all year. He did have to work for a little bit this weekend because uh, Vince Freezy with his patented hole shot and uh, run up front early. But Christian Craig was able to work his way up from third to first about halfway through the moto, passing Moseman. So that was quite a battle, I thought. Moseman had a missed opportunity for sure. He ended up moving his way into the lead. Didn't last too long, though. Craig ended up passing him. I thought Freezy was going to finally put it on the podium in third. He's just riding super great. But then a, a crash near the end of the, uh, the main event and a collision with uh, Joe Shimoto unavoidable collision in the whoops, uh, relegated him to a DNF. So bummer for Freezy, but he was looking really good. I expect to see him on the podium. Good ride for him. This week's industry spotlight focuses on a recently announced partnership between the American Motorcyclist Association and Init Esports to launch the world's fastest motorcycle gamer challenge. As the AMA's first foray into sanctioning an esports tournament, participants now have the opportunity to win an AMA national title in the esports discipline. According to Chief Operating Officer James Holter, the AMA's mission includes promoting the motorcycle lifestyle, and that extends to the digital universe where they will partner with Init Esports to develop the rules, structure, and fairness of play that elevates online motorcycle racing to a recognized AMA discipline. According to Init Esports CEO Steffi Bao, the digital competition license was created to encourage accountability in the gaming world. To drive or race a motorcycle in real life, you need a license. By replicating this model in the digital world, the hope is to provide a safe and fair gaming environment that increases inclusion in motorsports and gaming. Additional information can be found at initsports.gg. That's I-N-I-T sports.gg. Stay ahead of the pack with the latest racing news and interviews from the Hammerdown Racing Report. Your source for regional racing action as well as the national scene. Every week, we recap racing action from all around Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan and cover national racing series from the world of outlaws to NASCAR. Plus, get all the latest racing news. Join hosts Scott Hammer and Ron Miller, along with different featured guests each week. From dirt to asphalt, we have you covered. The Hammerdown Racing Report, available weekly on your favorite podcasting platform. This week's Moment in Moto History, we would like to talk about the return of road racing to Daytona International Raceway for this year's Daytona Bike Week, March 4th through 13th. No question that Daytona has the longest and most storied history related to motorcycle racing. The first race took place there on the beach in 1937, and it's run mostly uninterrupted up until 2019, until the race was canceled for 2020 due to COVID restrictions. The long list of winners includes not only U.S. race champions, but also international race champions from nearly every form of racing, not to mention Moto America's president, Wayne Rainey, three-time world 500cc road race champion who won the 1987 event for Honda. For 2022, we are seeing Moto America return to feature 
a nearly unlimited class structure to draw as many racers and motorcycle platforms as possible to the event. The motorcycle spec allowed to race this event has evolved over the years where Formula One spec was started originally in the late 70s. That evolved into Superbike, which was essentially 750 to 1,000 cc four-cylinder engines. And then in the mid-1980s, followed by Formula Extreme in 2005 through 2008. The current iteration Daytona Sport Bike will allow 600cc inline fours, such as the YZFR6s, Gixxer 600s, and Kawasaki ZX6Rs, but will also include larger platforms such as the Triumph 765 Triple, Ducati's Panigale V2 955, and MB Augusta's F3, which is an 800cc motor. No question it'll be an exciting event, and varied engine platforms will add another level of excitement and interest for the fans to see just what the race teams can come up with as a solution to winning this historic event. A couple of observations about the inclusion of Daytona this year is, I believe, Dave, it's going to be the first time in some years that the Daytona 200 is actually included as part of the Moto America series. And of course, now it's going to be the actual kickoff to the series officially. So I thought that's pretty interesting that they're coming back. And then also the inclusion of the King of the Baggers class, which I think is going to be super cool to see those big bikes on the high banks of Daytona. And think about that. Harley's going around that racetrack at Daytona Bike Week, which is basically a Harley rider's haven. So to see those two things together is just going to fill the stands, and I'm excited for it. We'd like to welcome to Pit Pass Moto today, Chuck Axland. He is the COO of Moto America. Welcome to the show, Chuck. Hey, thanks, guys. It's uh, it's good to be here. It's been a while, but uh, look forward to our talk. Awesome, and so are we. I mean, you've got to be excited. You're, what, I think six weeks away from the kickoff of the season, and this year you've got some uh, exciting news about that first race of the year. So uh, tell us about what's coming up and uh, what to expect for 2022, man. Yeah, so generally our first se- first race of the season would have been kicking off either at Circuit of the Americas, this is port race for MotoGP or Road Atlanta, but uh, this year we partnered with Daytona International Speedway and basically uh, are taking over the, the running and operation of the Daytona 200. And that kicks off March uh, 10 to 12, and that's uh, super exciting for us. There's uh, new super sport uh, type rules that are going to be introduced. It'll pit Ducati versus Triumph versus Yamaha versus Kawasaki and versus Suzuki, and uh, there's some exciting stuff to, to, to watch there. And then we got uh, the Mission King of the Baggers are taken to the high banks for the first time. That's going to be uh, quite interesting in its own right. And then we have our... Our twins and the Roland Sands Super Hooligan class uh, coming out to to join us. So I think it's going to be a it's going to be a different type of event. It's going to be fun though. It's going to be great. Yeah. How much does that mean for you guys to be back at Daytona International Speedway, especially just to to kick off the entire series? I mean, that definitely has to be pretty special for you guys. Uh, it's special in a lot of ways. Uh, I think probably especially to you know myself and Wayne. You know, our our families. Wayne's won the the Daytona two hundred and. You know, my uncle Skip Axland participated in it and uh, won the 250 race there back in 1979. And you know, my father was going there with Kenny Roberts and and Skip for many years. So, 
you know, it's just part of the tradition of motorcycle racing. You know, it's one of the biggest events, uh, you know, in the world, in the United States, certainly. And, uh, you know, it's got a lot of prestige to it. And, and our hope is that um, we could continue to build on that and uh, get get more and more Europeans and more manufacturers involved. And, and hopefully that'll bring out more spectators and more interest. And I got to believe having that event during Bike Week with, you know, the, the prevalence of uh, V-Twin and Harley riders, seeing the king of the baggers go around the, the high bank ovals. That's, to me, I, I was really impressed how Moto America has pulled that in and grown that series and turned it into something that a lot of people, I guess, just didn't expect to take off. I guess maybe there were some doubters in the crowd. I mean, what's your take on that, how it evolved into what it is today? No, certainly there was there was doubters in the crowd. And, and to be honest, we, we had no idea, you know, how it was going to work out when we Ran the first race two years ago. You know, it's certainly something that is very unique. You could watch sport bike racing, you know, and at different times, you know, in different countries, you know, all over the world. But you only see one King of the Baggers race, and and you know, from the inception, from the first race, and and to where both Harley and Indian, you know, they're very serious about you know competing, and and neither one of them wants to lose. I can guarantee you that. But it's definitely struck a chord and. Overall, it's it's made us kind of rethink our events because you know we we welcome the you know the the baggers and the and the you know and just also the super hooligan crowd for that. But it just it's making our events more of a bigger motorcycling party. People that come out to watch the baggers, you know, get to watch the super bikes, and the and the super bike guys are exposed to the baggers, and it's just it's helping our attendance and it's helping our overall interest in Moto America and, and, and road racing, and, and there's a lot of positives. But uh, certainly when we went into the first race, we had no idea what to expect, to be fair. Yeah, and as I understand, some of the online impressions from those events were, I guess, a multi-fold above what viewership was for even the, the popular Superbike class. So kudos to you guys and your team for uh, coming up with an idea and partnering and, and, and creating something that draws in other fans that you wouldn't normally have. No, for sure. And I think it just turned into one of those things that, you know, even the, the naysayers, they the road racing purists are kind of against it, but I think they still watch it. It's like one of those things that you probably shouldn't shouldn't be watching, but you do anyways, you know. And certainly the 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 fans that are that do enjoy it have told their friends and yeah, it's a very popular part of what we're doing for sure. One other aspect for 2022, I'd noticed Moto America is encouraging participation in both Stock 1000 and Superbike. I believe on you can run the same machine. Is that a way for the series to kind of just better help accommodate budgets and and just make it more accessible and easier for racers to get more track time? Uh, a little bit of both. Um, you know, Superbike is our premier class for the series, and. Um, you know, a lot of riders come up. We have a great platform starting with the, the Motul Mini Cup to Junior Cup to Twins Racing, Super Sports, Stock Thousand, Superbike. So ultimately, we want our competitors to end up in that Superbike class. You know, with Stock Thousand and the level of machinery that's available now for Stock Thousand, you can effectively race in Superbike. So what we've done is just created some incentive for riders that do aspire to be superbike and participate in the superbike class. You know, if they want to race stock thousand and want to race superbike, it gives them more track time, more experience, more opportunity to to make some money because the the manufacturers are very generous um, with contingency money in the stock thousand and superbike categories. 
you know, it's an initiative that's also supported by Dunlop. Um, our Superbike Cup carve-out is basically open to stock 1,000 riders, and Dunlop give away, you know, a set of tires for the soup that those were for those participating to the top five finishers in in the superbike class that are a part of the cup. So, so I think it's everybody pulling together and just giving some more opportunity for the for the young guys. Uh, certainly, they get some track time. They get a little bit more television coverage as well, being in both classes. And um, yeah, it's been very positive. It's been well received. It's always exciting to see these guys progress through the through the classes to that pinnacle of superbike and then even possibly go overseas to race uh, World Superbike or MotoGP. So it's almost like a great feeder series. Shifting gears just a little bit, I kind of wanted to ask you about yourself. I know your name and your family, you've been around racing your entire life and you've seen some pretty interesting things over the years. But I wanted to ask you, anybody who's tried to road race a Yamaha 550 Vision has really got my respect because I owned one of those motorcycles. And uh, <laughs> to imagine it on a racetrack would just uh, would just blow my mind. Tell me how that worked out. Well, I actually didn't get the chance to ride it. <laughs> what happened was I went with um, Kenny Roberts uh, over to Europe in 1983. It was his last year competing for the world championship. Kenny's been a lifelong friend of our families. My dad was his first sponsor. And at that time, he, you know, I was racing motocross and he needed somebody to help train with. And he was going through a divorce at the time. And at the end, he said, hey, why don't you come over and help out? And so, you know, I went over to Europe and kind of saw what that scene was like and and I just thought, well, maybe when I come back, I should try road racing. Obviously, we were involved in road racing because Skip, my uncle, you know, he was pretty good in his day. And, and so we, when we came back, Kenny had a vision, a 550 Yamaha vision in his garage. And he thought that that would be a good platform to, you know, to learn how to road race on. So for whatever reason, we started, we built a chassis, we built, you know, bodywork, gas tank, seat and all that. And obviously the vision is a shaft drive. So... When it got to the point where we were going to convert it from a shaft drive to a chain drive, somebody brought up the, the fact that the engine ran backwards. And so basically that project stopped there. You know, we got pictures of the bike, but uh, it never ran, unfortunately. So I never had the pleasure to take it to a racetrack. But um, so there you go. We dropped that and then we, we built a, a TZ250, basically made one of the first Delta box frames and and took that to Daytona in 1984. And so that was, you know, kind of the second bike we built in the garage, but the, the, the TZ actually ran. So there you go. So you mentioned the name Kenny Roberts, of course, you know, definitely an iconic name in, in motorcycle racing. I loved, by the way, your recent, your 70th birthday tribute to Kenny Roberts Sr. I mean, I can only imagine some of the stories behind many of those moments that you listed there. Care to divulge any of those? Uh, I was noticing one of them, like dislocating your shoulder at Imola or the uh, Belgian flying snails. Um, I, I can't even <laughs> imagine some of the stories that you have together. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the flying snails involve somebody else, so I don't think that they would be too happy if I talked about that. But, um, you know, again, that was 83, and, and we were at uh, Imola. I think it was for the Imola 200, actually, and... And Kenny was always a guy to, to to joke around, and for somehow myself and Kenny and and um, the champion spark plug guy, I think his last name was French. Can't remember his first name now, but somehow we ended up in this big wrestling match, and 
And uh, I got stuck in the wrong position and moved and it popped my left shoulder out of socket. And Imola was the hometown of uh, Dr. Costa, who you know does the clinical mobile. And at that time it was starting. So we went to see Dr. Costa with my shoulder out. He couldn't put it back in there at the at the racetrack, so we went downtown to where his actual practice was. And boy, he had about three or four guys pulling both ways on my body, and finally got it in. And and then he put me in a body cast for like three days, you know, from the waist up. So basically, my arm was you know put to my chest, and um, I mean it was pretty extreme because now you just put it in a sling and you know and, and be careful with it. But yeah, I had to wear a freaking body cast for three or four days, but. Yeah, that's uh, one of the, you know, many stories there for sure. But Kenny's been, like I said, a good good friend of the families. And I worked for him as my father did, but we've never really considered each other colleagues. I don't think it's just been more family. Always. And uh, ouch, I want to say, because I've been through that dislocated sur- shoulder myself, and I, I can only imagine the pain is immeasurable for sure. And uh, talk about some of those race memories that uh, that you had listed in that 70th birthday tribute. There was something about being the first MotoGP helmet boy. And it was something that uh, you were able, actually able to make money from. Well, not very much money. I think I told them I would go over there and help them for like 50 bucks a week as long as he paid for my food. And, you know, I, I was young and I, I was actually staying at his house at the time because I was helping him. And but uh, yeah, so I went over there and, you know, nowadays, pretty much every MotoGP rider has an assistant, you know, somebody to help them with their helmets and leathers and organizing their stuff. And 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 at that time, I was I was probably the only one, you know, he took me over there. I would take care of his helmet and leathers and boots and, uh, you know, but it was much different because I think he had two sets of leathers and I think he only had one helmet and three face shields. So, you know, it wasn't changing shields. It was just keeping them clean, you know, over there to get a set of gloves at that time. I think he had one set of gloves. So yeah, it was limited. So it was pretty easy, but I guess I, you know, I was maybe one of the trendsetters, you know, like I said, every, every MotoGP guy's got a, got an assistant. So I was, uh, I was doing that in 1983. I'm sure they get paid better now than I did at that time as well. Yeah, before the t- before there was the term man friend, right? Because I think that's probably used these days now. You got to have your little entourage when you go to Europe and, and race over there, probably. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so one other question back to Moto America series is creating similarities between the U.S. and the world racing series. Is that something that you know Moto America is is trying to do as part of like a long term plan? to kind of just help make that transition easier for, for younger American riders coming up with, uh, you know, aspirations to go race in Europe? Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I never, you know, I spent a lot of time in Europe, you know, running Kenny's MotoGP team. And, and when we came back over here and, and had the opportunity to, you know, take over the AMA Superbike Championship, you know, I knew through history the AMA had its own kind of separate rules for Superbikes and the different classes than they had over in Europe. And, I never really saw much sense in it because I know the R&D budgets that went into the U.S. racing and went into the, you know, factories, you know, Japanese factories and so forth. And really, I just thought everybody should be on the same, you know, same platform, so to speak. You know, it should only be one R&D budget, you know, per manufacturer and, and so forth. So so that was part of the reason, you know, and the thought was that maybe, you know, parts or equipment could trickle down from, you know, taking the, the super bike class into consideration, uh, 
you know, maybe some of those parts and, and, and electronics and know-how would funnel down to our Superbike Championship. And, and at the same time, yeah, it, it, it helps riders adapt to, you know, those electronics and those engine configurations and setups and so forth. And, you know, I think it's been, been pretty successful. I mean, although, um, you know, Cambo VA went from Superbike to uh, Moto2 bike, uh, I think, you know, SDK going from super sport to, to Moto2 is going to be a good thing to watch. Joe Roberts is over in the Moto2 class, but, you know, I think Garrett Gerloff, I know there's some differences in tires and, and setups and so forth, but hopefully the experience that he gained with us helped him in his transition to the world Superbike. You know, the other, the other thing other than technical that we try to emulate is just the whole race start procedure. So again, if, if, um, you know, our races run like MotoGP do, you know, for start procedure and timings and so forth and, and world Superbike runs on the same, you know, the same pattern. And, and so for our riders, I think it just takes one, one more element of something that they have to, you know, or don't have to think about when they make that transition, you know, everything's similar. So hopefully that helps out. And that was part of our, our mission when we started uh, Moto America was to try and emulate what they do in the FIM World Championships. And for sure, it's uh, it's paying off as we've seen many riders make the make the jump overseas and and be successful. So, Chuck, we wanted to take these last few moments together and uh, talk about uh, Moto America, how they're reaching uh, you know end users out in the field who want to see road racing besides live. Obviously, that's the best way to see road racing, but. Uh, what does Moto America put together to uh, to get people to uh, be able to see racing? Well, we have uh, we have it spread out in a lot of different different places. Um, you know, you can start with the live transmissions for Superbike classes on Fox Sports. King of the Baggers is also on Fox Sports. Our Junior Cup will be on Fox Sports as well. Super Sport live coverage is on MAV t- Television. We also have Moto America Live Plus, which is basically three days of you know, live live viewing from the event. We try and go do a lot behind the scenes, interview participants, uh, team managers, fans sometimes, but really give a good look at, you know, what we have going on at the track. And, and that generally starts on the Friday of a race weekend. And, and you see every, you know, you see practices and qualifying plus all of the races live. It's a really good show. It is a subscription. And if you go to motoamerica.com, you can find out more information on that. And then generally about a week after the events, the, the races start going up live on, or not live, but uh, start going up on YouTube. And we do show some events time to time from Facebook. So what's that done is basically, you know, spreads the coverage out. And, you know, if you're if you're not tuned into Fox Sports, hopefully you catch it on one of the other platforms. And if you miss everything completely, we launched uh, Moto America TV, which if you go to motoamerica.tv, you can find out where... Uh, you could uh, tune in to 24 hour content of Moto America races. So a little something for everybody. Awesome. So easy to find them and so easy to watch and very exciting package and very exciting racing. We're really excited this year to partner with uh, Moto America and uh, we can't thank you enough for spending time with us today, Chuck. No, I appreciate it guys. Uh, thanks for having me on and hopefully we'll hear from you again as the season gets rolling.
Thanks again to our guests for being with us today, and thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you have a moment, please rate and review us. We really appreciate it. Make sure you're also following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit pitpassmoto.com where you can check out our blog and our brand new store where you can get your Pit Pass swag. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson, producer Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. I'm Dave Selecki. And I'm Dale Spangler. See you next week on Pit Pass Moto. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.